All right, everybody, welcome. We were on a bit of a break. My man, JP, was battling COVID, him and his family, but full recovery for JP. We're back for the people. It's like you can't teach heart scenario. Um, you guys were beyond fire for us, moved us to number three in the golfing world, in the golfing podcast world, which, I mean, we're P and I expecting number one. Yeah, it goes without saying. However, number three, couldn't have done it without you guys. So that was total nails on your end. But without further ado, my partner, fully recovered, JP. JP, what's up, buddy? Well, JJ, it's gl I'm glad to be back in the booth. You know, the COVID-19 is no joke. You know, I kind of gave it a little bit of a, ah, you know, I, I didn't really give it enough credit, I don't think, back in, uh, when it started. But shit, if that thing, it, it's, it's terrible. I was in bed all day uh, for two days straight. Uh, we missed an entire week of recording for the people. So the people suffered, not just me. Uh, and we can't let that happen. We just can't let that happen on this podcast because we are for the people. And we are going to get started right away with uh, Mr. J.J. Colleen here. We've got the first question from Tad Sachek. He wants to know, what do you make of the Patrick Reed situation? Well, as many of the golfing world had witnessed on Saturday – at approximately 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Patrick Reed had a four-shot lead on the 10th hole at the Farmers at Torrey Pines. He hit a high pull, spinny apparently, hook into the left damp rough, and he was calling embedded ball, okay? Not anything peculiar. Many pros, in fact, probably... I don't know, maybe once a tournament, we, we try to go for the embedded ball rule because if your lie is that shitty, it sure as hell couldn't have got there on its own. Something bad must have happened for that to happen. So Patrick Reed marks his ball, picks it up, uh, investigates, no rules official presence. Um, some people were calling that he pushed the ball down. Everyone could see that the ball bounced. However, to the guy's credit, even though him and Team Justine and Team Reed had blocked me on the Twitter, um, to his credit, I don't think he could have seen over the lip whether the high hook bounced or not. Uh, however, at the end of the day, everybody on TV saw it bounced. People were claiming that he pushed it down. And it just looked like a questionable scenario from a dude that has done questionable things. Petey, what do you make of that situation? Well, you know, I... I am on the opposite side of this. I am on team Reed. I have been on team Reed for years and you know what? I've had his back for so long that it's starting to hurt me. Um, and it, it may stop soon. I don't know, but, but I have known Patrick Reed since we were kids. It just sounds stupid saying, but I was faster to hit to the PGA tour than he was. So I rented his parents' house at Augusta, the house he grew up in when I played the Masters. So I stayed in his room. Like, I've, I've been where he's been. I know Patrick very well. I know his family very well. Um, they do not get along. It is sad. That is a sad deal. Um, but this specific instance, I think that it was a little bit too far by Patrick Reed. You don't pick up the golf ball 
there. You just don't do that. I mean, I've, I've had plenty of embedded balls in my career and never once when I asked for a rules official to come over and just not even, not even me saying I have an embedded ball. I say, Hey, I need a ruling. And all my playing competitors are there. I'm not alone, right? This is not just me. There's three guys, all three of them come over and they look at the ball. They're like, yeah, call an official. So that's what we do. It's, it's a group decision. It's not a, my decision. This is not what I'm doing. This isn't a, a singular effort. Whenever you get a ruling like this, that could, I mean, you have a four shot lead. You have to understand where you are. You're on TV. Everybody in the world's watching you. You've got to understand that I am on a, na a national worldwide audience. At this point, I'm going to look like a jackass if I don't do my due diligence and get everybody involved. He doesn't. Obviously, he doesn't. He does it himself. Picks it up. Calls an official. Official freaks out. Like, the official like, literally couldn't even, couldn't stand after this. Like, it, it, it was such an immediate, yeah, 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 you're good, you know, kind of deal where he was so caught off guard that Patrick had picked up the ball and put it over somewhere else. It could have been a new ball for all he knew. And, uh, and he gave him relief. And you know what? I mean, it was probably the right call because he didn't have all the information, but at the end of the day, Patrick Reed's got to know. He's got to know that he's under a microscope, and he is at this point. He is. I mean, the sand deal last year and this and the multiple occurrences that he's had before. And look, I'm on Team Reed. Like, I've always been on Team Reed. But if he continues to do this over and over again, where he burns people that are on his team, including me, and I'm just a – right now, I'm just an armchair quarterback. I'm just watching from the sidelines. But if he continues to do this, people are going to leave his team. And once I've left this team, everybody's gone because I am the last one standing for his team. Petey, I will give you credit. Not a lot of folks would have thought that you were the fan club captain, president, whatever you want to call it, of Team Reed. That is, that is not what the people were probably expecting. Listen, the – sand trap bunker waste area thing in the Bahamas was a total shit show. Um, the Australians were giving him hell for it with the shovel in his little deal. Um, you know, there have just been a couple questionable things. I know back in college, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the guy's a hell of a player beyond right. nails. Right. I mean, almost top five in the world again. Right. 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 Has won the masters WGC. Mm -hmm nine wins or whatever it is. I mean, the guy plays big tournaments very, very well. Something in his mentality, whether it's, I don't know, the way you grew up, the way he thinks, the way he's wired, is always looking for this edge, right? It's always looking for this edge. And I think that when the people see him and they think, and, and again, the rules, the rules official called it textbook, which is a little laughable, let's be honest, not quite textbook drop right there. But right. when they see, when the people think that he potentially cheated and then he got that, you know, that shitty grin all the time, that's where people just kind of, you know, what the hell's going on? And to his defense, even though he blocked me and I have a list of people that blocked me, they're not coming to my birthday party next year, even though Team Reed blocked me, to his defense, Rory had almost an identical situation on number right. eight. He had a little flare type layup on 18 from the rough. 
And I think about the same thing. Was it handled different? Yes. Is Rory a different? Is he different the way he handles things in general? Yes. And I think that's where it kind of went sideways. Um, at the end of the day, man, I, I don't know. I think we're going to, we're going to continue to see stuff like this. It's his killer instinct, ass kicking machine, cutthroat mentality where he's looking for an edge and we're just going to keep seeing stuff like this. Someone's going to have to really convince me that it's not going to happen anymore. Yeah. It's going to keep happening. It's going to keep happening. And you know what? I'm going to keep having Patrick Reed's back until it's so bad until there's one like this one right here. You've seen professional golfers that have been out there forever. You've seen them take Patrick Reed's back. You've seen like Ken Duke took his back. There's other, other golfers that have taken his back. You know, it's, it's been 50, 50, maybe a little, you know, probably more like 80, 20, but there have been people it's, it's a debatable deal. It's not like it's cutthroat. Oh yeah. He cheated. Like there has never the one in the sand last year in the Bahamas. Yeah. I mean, he's got to know that the, the, the damn clubs hitting the sand. Right. I mean, you can feel that as a golfer, but in my opinion, in my opinion, we are a podcast of opinions, right? This is nothing on fact. This is 100%, 100% our opinions only. In my opinion, in John Peterson's opinion, that right there was a matter of guessing. That entire ordeal, there's no right or wrong. Did some betting websites refund their betters? Yes, they did because they thought it was cheating. But you know what? It's all he said, she said at this point. And until there's an absolute concrete example of Patrick Reed cheating, I'm going to be on team Reed. And you know what? I'm, I, I know everybody's surprised to hear that, but I've known him forever. And I know I'm in the 0.1% of people in this country, but when I have your back and I'm your friend, I'm going to have it until there is concrete evidence that you're otherwise a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you're loyal to the selfie. And, and to your point, this is a podcast of opinions, and we're sure as hell not going to let facts get in the way of a perfectly good podcast here. Absolutely so, not. Uh-huh. All right, so so let's let's talk about this. There's in in little bit of a curveball. I know that you've you've seen it by now, but at Use Golf Facts on Twitter, aka the Reed Team Burner account, who by the way is bordering on fourteen thousand followers. No shit. Oh yes. <laughs> They've gone up 6,000 followers in a week since, since the tournament, because now people want to, they they want a front row seat for this avatar egg freaking train wreck on fire. Unreal. So, so for the people that don't know, most of you, most of you do Patrick Reed. I don't think he's ever written a treat tweet in his life. I'd be shocked if he owns a cell phone team Reed, I think handles the situation. You could figure out who team Reed is potentially, but, but here's the deal. The guy has mirror tweets from a separate account. I'm talking the caps. This is total copy and paste situation. This isn't like a opinion that's kind of the same on a different platform like the John Peterson tracker or whatever may be out there. This is a straight up clone. 
and it's had some questionable replies. Xander Shoffley, they've called out him for a non-conforming driver. They called out Justin Thomas out of after his slur that he should not have used a couple weeks ago. They've called out a couple other things PGA Tour related, and it's basically some sort of outlet within his system um, that's using this burner account. Petey, what the hell is up with this goddamn account? Well, JJ, uh, I've looked at it. I didn't know that they've doubled in size in the last week. But it appears to me that, look, I know that Justine Reed, Patrick's, Patrick's wife, runs their social media. And, and it's got to be her. It's got to be another way to um, maybe get the Patrick Reed news out there that she can't say on his personal account. Um, and, and, and I, I don't really know how to tell you anything other than that. Like, you know, I know Justine, I know Patrick, I know them well. I know Josh Gregory is my golf coach. He helps Patrick a lot. Patrick Reed won two national championships with Josh Gregory at Augusta state. Like I know all of them. Well, I mean, I'm in that kind of circle where I can find out information. I just haven't asked about this. Um, the burner account has got to be his wife. It's just got to be his wife um, posting things she wants to post. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it and is. That's it. <laughs> it is. I mean, for God's sakes, that's it. There's no doubt about it. All right. Let's, let's turn that's here. I, I'm sure, I'm sure there's been a bunch of shit talking about this in the golf world, but Petey and I are smarter than everyone goes without saying. And Petey is obviously president of the fan club and team Reed. So you guys should listen to him more than anyone else. And I will go on the other side of that fence if I really need to for debate's sake. All right, Petey, let's, let's just, let's jump to another question for the people. Again, this is your podcast. You ask us literally hundreds of questions this week, which is awesome. We'll pick out a few of our favorites and we'll answer them. That's how it's going to go every week. It's your goddamn podcast. If we have a couple of world leaders and influential figures in People's Magazine, most beautiful person on the podcast in the future, perhaps we may do that, but it's just going to be us kicking it. So here, here's the deal, Petey. All right, Ben Voigt, who I think you know, asked, what is the average PGA Tour rookie endorsement deal? And it's a great question. I, I kind of get this all the time, and I'll let you answer this one. Look, this is a great question because nobody's talking about this and nobody see the guys, the guys that we're around in our rankings, like as far as podcasts go from one to five, nobody knows this because none of them have played the tour, right? Um, the only ones that have are Colt, Colt Nose is the only one in the entire hill, top 10, right? That's played the tour. So your average endorsement rookie deal, when I, that's 10 years, I'm 10 years removed from my rookie year, or actually hill right out of college. So I graduated from LSU in May of 2021. I remained an amateur to try to make the Walker cup through the summer. Obviously that did not work out because the USGA does not like fun people. They are the fun police. So fall of 2021, I turned pro. I signed with Titleist for $55,000. Okay. To put that in perspective, I was a first-team All-American. I won the national championship, the Jones Cup, finished second in a nationwide tour event as an amateur, lost it on the last hole to another amateur who ended up making the Walker Cup team. 
Vandenberger's name was Harris English. But I signed for 55 grand. That was my signing bonus. Callaway. I had an offer on the table from Callaway for $750,000 if I hit all my incentives. Titleist was 55 grand. I stayed with Titleist because they had helped me since I was 14 years old. Hindsight, top five worst business deals you've ever heard of right there. (laughs) Unbelievably bad. Didn't have any good advice. I ran out of money in about six months. Thank God I qualified for the U.S. Open the next year and almost won. It was a bad deal. But as far as endorsement deals deals go now, that's personal experience from what what I had. Uh, now it's a completely different scenario. I mean, we're 10 years down the road. Matthew Wolf is getting six, seven, eight million dollars from Taylor made right out of college. Like that, that's what they're doing now. Back then, they were they were not paying guys out of college like they do now because the guys that were in their early 30s, 31, 32, 33, they were the ones getting paid. The Matt Kuchers back then were the ones getting paid, right? When they were in their early 30s. Now there's a bigger value on the guys coming out of college because they've understood that they can win right away and they can make a huge difference and win major championships like Colin Morikawa. That's the kind of guy that they're paying now. When I turned pro 10 years ago, they were not paying us like that. And when JJ, I mean, JJ's ancient. So, you know, 180 years ago, he can fill us in on whatever the hell endorsement deals were like when the Flintstones were walking around. But um, in my experience, 10 years ago, they weren't as good as they are now. What a dick, by the way, goes without saying, don't even have to mention that. I'm not that old, by the way, am I going to just dominate the champions tours in years 2031 through 2050? Obviously, but 40, that was rude. Okay. Here's the deal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> regarding regarding endorsements. First, dude, I finished number one on the Corn Ferry Tour money list. So I got nails endorsements on my PGA Tour rookie year. But when I started, I was not like the NCAA champ and all these things. I did make it to the Corn Ferry Tour relatively quick. And those deals at the time were about the 50 to 60 range Corn Ferry Tour with bonus stuff. The PGA Tour, I think the I barely got my card guy deal in the early 2011, 12, 13s, the I barely got my card guy was probably 150 to 200-ish on the PGA Tour. If he was a full staff guy, right? You can't just like play the driver and then do whatever the hell you want. I'm talking like head to toe, whatever. That's about right. Um, It's such a sliding scale though, because I mean, some guys, there's, there's, and and this this is true. There are less than 20 guys in the world that can sell golf clubs. Right. I can confidently say that there are less than 20 guys in the world that can sell clubs. However, there are a shitload of guys where you'll see the name, the Callaway, Taylor made Titleist, ping tricks on whatever Nike and it's marketing, it's advertising. It's whatever people used to say on the PGA tour. It's like a hundred dollars per second is what it's worth in advertising value that they're on TV. So it's numbers, yeah. It's it's numbers. So there's a component, but for for straight up hard good sales, I mean, dude, how many how many guys have you guys watched listening? How many guys have you guys seen play 
And you're like, shit, I'm going to buy the driver because he's hitting it. Well, Webb Simpson, I love the guy, one of the nicest humans on the planet, Titleist head to toe. Are you going to buy the Titleist driver because Webb Simpson hit it? No, of course you're not. However, you see the Titleist and you're like, oh, I'm team Titleist or whatever. There's like a marketing component there, right? DJ hitting piss missiles all over the place that fade two inches with two 2200 spin and fly 330. Are you going to buy the TaylorMade driver? Yeah, you, you might buy Damn that. Right. You, might, you might buy that, okay? <laughs> Some dude that's absolute nails with this weird looking putter that claims that he is, you know, just putted like a freaking blind guy for six months and he uses this putter in his nails. Could you buy that? Perhaps. That's another situation. But at the end of the day, there's a marketing part. So that's a good right. question. Here's the out of college thing. And Petey, you know, we, I mentioned Ty Tryon to you, right? A while back. And Ty Tryon, the dude, when he was 16, and I don't know, remember what tournament was. You said BC Open or Honda or whatever. He Monday qualified. I don't even think he made the cut. But he Monday qualified as a 16-year-old. And at that time, that, that was unheard of. And now you Monday qualify as a 16-year-old. If you go to a good golf school, maybe maybe you get to play the one guy the next week, right? It's like the kids are so good, right, so right. early. Ty Tryon Monday qualifies, and the goddamn guy is freaking head-to-toe in $5 million worth of endorsements a week later as a 17-year-old. So right. times have changed. People, It was unheard of there. He was unproven. But now guys know that they can straight up win majors within a year of getting out of college. Yeah. And the thing is, what most people don't talk about on the endorsement deals is that there are a lot of incentives on these contracts. And yeah, you're signing bonuses one deal, but the majority of your money, I'm talking 80, 90% of your cash, if you play it right, like Jordan Spieth did, is made on your incentives on the back end, right, JJ? So you've got a guy like me. I'll, I'll just I'll just say me, for instance. In 2015, six years ago, that was embarrassingly my best year on tour. I finished 90-something in the FedEx Cup. I kept my card. But with Titleist, I was with Titleist. I had a $150,000 deal with Titleist on tour. I had full staff player, everything, head to toe, whatever. But where the money was made was on the back end. So I had another 100000 if I kept my card. And every spot from 125 all the way to first was extra dollars. So I finished 93rd or so, whatever it was. I ended up getting a wire two weeks after that tournament for $126,000 or something like that. It was, it was almost double. It was. It was at least double my contract. That's a good year. way to so do I ended it. Up, so I ended up making, you know, $280,000, $250,000, whatever it was. It was a lot more than my original contract. So I think a lot of these guys have a back-end deal where, you know, just like mine was, where if you get, if you finish 60th or 90th or 120th and you keep your card, you end up making more money because the company values you higher at the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, Spieth was a good example, dude, that you mentioned that because like he might've given up maybe a little bit at the front end, but the dude was just had this corporate situation going. He got in with Under Armour on the ground floor and Under Armour at the time was making, you know, solid colored polos with the logo. I mean, oh. it was like gear, just whatever it, nobody dude. was, we yeah, nobody was wearing the stuff and they had no shoes. They had limited marketing, but to their defense, Under Armour, you know, has, has since then been nails. They were a startup. 
So Spieth, they paid X. Well, dude, he had endorsements and these are figures that I'm just guessing at where, all right, Jordan, you, you know, keep your card or you get your seven starts and keep your card extra million bucks. All right, Jordan, you win a tournament, an extra 2 million bucks. All right, Jordan, you make the president's Ryder cup an extra 3 million. All right, Jordan, you're top 10 in the world, an extra two. And all of a sudden Under Armour's like, shit, we just like made this stuff up. And now all of a sudden, <laughs> now all of a sudden you're getting paid $14 million. You're like the <laughs> second highest paid guy to tiger was on the whole goddamn tour. Let's renegotiate this situation. <laughs> but he's made the golf brand. They had no shoes. They had yeah. nothing. He so is. unbelievable dude goes without saying, and the guy deserves it. But I mean, that's, there are, there are incentive laced deals and you just talked about it briefly, just with the, just with the uh, Titleist thing, man. And that's a good way to do it. Like if somebody is triggering those bonuses, well, guess what? It's because they're an ass kicking machine. Right. And that's what I consider myself. I'm an ass kicking machine. No, the next okay. question here is from Timothy Dobbins. The difference between a scratch, a scratch, Listen to this question, JJ. The difference between a scratch and someone trying to turn pro. I will, we'll call it a scratch and an all-pro tour guy. What's the difference? You, you couldn't even keep a straight face asking that question. I mean, we might have to put no. that video on the – okay, here's the deal with a scratch. Quote, I'm going to say a scratch is a 0.0, and I don't even know how handicaps work, but – um, I have some buddies that claim they're plus handicaps and I swear to God, I haven't seen a break par in six months. So I'm not sure how this <laughs> works. Here's the deal. If you're a scratch golfer, if you're a scratch golfer, you're a hell of a golfer. You're in the top 1% of 1% golfers in the world. You would get your ass handed to you on a silver platter. If you tried to play professional golf and not only, not only, would you not succeed? You'd be in the fetal position group on therapy sessions nine days a week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you would. And you know what? It, it's, uh, it's one of those deals where, yeah, hey, you're the club champion at Mira Vista or Shady Oaks or Rivercrest here in Fort Worth. And you've got to, you know, you're, you bow your neck. You walk around the club you got your head back and your neck bowed oh, i'm the club champ i'm gonna go play with hell there's we got about 20 you know mini tour guys around fort worth here i'm gonna go play with andrew hudson right andrew hudson has played pga tour china and the all pro tour for years and you're gonna go play those guys yeah shit i'll play them straight up right the difference in a mini tour player and somebody that goes out there expecting to win their club championship once a year who plays maybe on Saturdays every week is like the difference in Martha Stewart and my wife in the kitchen. Wow. That's all I got. Wow. That's, that's an aggressive take. I mean, do I like it? Yes. Is it aggressive? Yes. Are you going to probably sleep on the couch when this pot is heard? 1000% accuracy level. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 I, it's, it's, it's hard to explain. It's really, it's really hard to explain the difference. This episode of For the People is brought to you by Texas Title, your DFW-based title insurance company. Close your next home, purchase a refinance with Texas Title, www.texastitle.com, hashtag a place to call home. All right, Petey, 
our next question, and we get a lot of caddy questions in general. People just want to know about caddies, but Iconic Golf One asked us, should Rory McIlroy, the Rory McIlroy, split from his childhood friend, Harry Diamond? And this sounds a little porn star 70s-ish. It's a hell of a name, by the way. Harry Diamond, should he split from his childhood friend? I want to get your take on this. Okay, so Harry Diamond. I don't know Harry Diamond. <laughs> Unbelievable name, by the way, buddy. So when I was out there, he had J.P. Uh, Fitzgerald. And it does not matter who Rory McIlroy has on the back. He could have a push cart. He could have a golden retriever. He could have J.P. Fitzgerald. He could have Harry Diamond. He could have J.J. Colleen. It does not matter who Rory McIlroy has on the back. He could have a white-tailed deer running around with his staff bag on their back. It does not matter. It's Rory McIlroy. I could caddy for Rory McIlroy, and it wouldn't change a thing. The guy is nails everywhere he goes with every club in his bag. The only thing that Rory needs is somebody to hand him the club he asks for. So if you can make a 14 on your SAT or a 42 or whatever the hell the score is nowadays, doesn't even matter. You can caddy for Rory McIlroy because that's all it takes. The guy, the guy's going to be himself the entire time. He is one of the best players in the world. He has been forever and he always will be. So you can strap his bag to the back of a, Labrador or a elephant doesn't matter. I don't care if he fires Harry Diamond. I don't care. I think Harry Diamond's probably fine for him. He's a buddy of his. But I'm not going to get sit here and get in the middle of Rory McIlroy's caddy situation because obviously it does not matter who caddies for that dude. He's still going to win. Yeah, that's more than accurate. Rory McIlroy, if there's, if there's one human that everyone on the PGA Tour admires, respects, and loves, and every fan admires, respects, yeah. and loves, American, yeah. European, doesn't matter, it's Rory McIlroy. It's yeah. him. Right. And if there's anyone that we just want to watch hit balls for hours and hours, it's him also. Um, listen, like you said, Rory McIlroy, the guy's beyond nails. Harry Diamond, his childhood buddy, he wants him to caddy for him. Shit, let him caddy for him. I don't think it hurts him at all. I mean, if you think that a skittish deer in the headlights situation could caddy for him, whatever, whatever you mentioned, that he'd still be successful. He could win multiple majors. He could win multiple PGA Tour events. Yeah. I mean, I could yeah. caddy for him, which is not ideal. I'd love to do it. That's like a guaranteed million a year for me. But at the end of the day, caddies can do a lot of good things for players. You can have a vet caddy for a rookie that can show them the courses, you know, just give them intangible advice that they could not get where maybe a childhood buddy is not the right ticket. But Rory knows what it takes to succeed. And I'm sure as hell sure that he's not going to pick someone that he thinks affects his chances of playing the best golf that he can. So I'm right. team Rory all the way. Harry Diamond. I'm, I'm team Harry Diamond. Harry, I'm going to get some merch for you made, buddy. That's a nails name, by the way. Yeah, team team porn star Harry Diamond 
porn star merch, diamond porn star. Uh, what is your best hungover round? This is from Candler Murphy. He wants to know JJ Colleen's best hungover round. It happens every day. So what what's your best one there, big boy? Well, that was that's 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 aggressive. Not not every day. Some days I don't play golf, Petey. So it's just called a hangover. There's no <laughs> round. No. Come on, come on. I'm a better person than that. I'm just this physical specimen. Well, I'll tell you this. 2011, year of our Lord. I was on fire, man on fire, fire extinguisher. I don't want anyone within a hundred miles of skies. If there's high winds, we're going to wave the red flag. Birdies flying all over the place. My golf game was on fire. 22 under won a tournament next week. Corn Ferry tour, 22 under win again next week, whatever million under missed the cut. That's what happens next tournament. (laughs) 21 under after three rounds and I'm unstoppable in my head. I'm like, my God, I may get to 40 under par. I may shoot 19 <laughs> under tomorrow. Like I have gotten horrific break after horrific break. And I am 21 under par after three rounds battlefield promotion season to the PGA tour. So I decide to mini Taiwan on not aggressive, but mini because I have the standard corn Ferry tour late 3 PM ish tea time. And I figure that might as well stay up with my buddies till one, two, three, four, perhaps, and have a couple of beers and just hang out. Let's celebrate my greatness all night. Sure. All night. I'm not playing sure. till three. How, <laughs> how shitty can someone feel if they have to tee off at three o'clock? You're going to be recovered, period, end of story, full recovery. Right. right. It's not true. It's not true. I show up. I show up and it was one of those situations where I go to bed at three something and you wake up at like a hard, like six fifteen because you just are feeling so dirty. You can't sleep. Oh, you can't. Have it. So you can't. So, so not only do I not tee off for a good nine hours, I am also feeling beyond questionable the rest of the days. I had this nails, white pants outfit, and I definitely had the squirts the first four hours that I was up after six o'clock. So the white pants were not an option. Um, I had some hodgepodge thing I had to put together because I was confident that I was going to hit two or three porta potties. I fired down at least enough Pepto-Bismol to kill a baby elephant. I still show up, was beyond nails for a while. And I think I had the lead until I made a triple on about the 15th hole, but it goes without saying. (laughs) I was a little hungover in an event for a 3 p.m. tea time. Hmm. Wow. All right. That's a hell of a deal. Wow. And uh, <laughs> if you weren't keeping track of that timeline, uh, that was a final round. Last group. Battlefield promotion season potential. Yeah, he's already he's already won twice on the Corn Ferry Tour. That would have been number three. But you know what? We just got a little blackout that night and didn't make it. So um, for me, uh, you know, this is this is actually not funny. This is this is not funny. It's not a joke. Um, it actually it it actually is. Why am I going to start? Like, I just have a feeling like I want to. Every time it, someone tells you that, you're like one. You're prepared to laugh. You're like prepared the, to laugh. The, the question is, what is your best hungover round, right? And I would love to be able to nail one down and and just pick one, right? But 
my problem. This is this is something I regret right now. I regret this to this day. I spent five years on the PGA Tour hungover. I did not take it seriously, especially in those first three. I was hungover for the majority of all of them. I did not take it seriously. I did not really care about how I played, didn't warm up properly, didn't do anything right. I was hungover for the majority of my PGA Tour rounds. And you know what? At this point, I'm surprised that I did as good as I did because I felt like crap for the most part while I was out there. Um, So when the question comes, what is your best hungover round? I think about it and I'm like, man, I just can't pick one because there were so many. So I'm 31 years old. I turned 32 in April. And obviously this was in a prior life. You know, I I was not married, didn't have kids. I partied all the time and I didn't really worry about anybody but me. But if I were to get back and I'd, treated it like a job like an actual job like damn it i'm coming out here to whip these boys ass it'd be a different deal so candler murphy yeah your best hungover round i'll give it your best hungover season i mean it was five years of being hungover on the pga tour i don't know how i kept my card i don't know how i played as well as i did but i did so anyway with that being said Candler Murphy, thanks for the great question. Candler, <laughs> the Candler, next one to, here. Yeah. No, I was going to say, dude, Candler, just go to pjtour.com and that year span that he mentioned and look for the lowest round during that time. And that might answer your question for you, pal. <laughs> That's a hell of an idea. Yeah, there was a 63. I know there was a 63. All right. Well, if we're going to answer the question, there was a 63 in Phoenix. This week, there was a 63 in Phoenix. I stayed on Spencer Levine's couch. And he didn't even have nightstands. He had old heater boxes that were cardboard that he bought the heaters in that were on both sides of his bed. <laughs> I, I remember setting my phone down and charging my phone. I sat on Spencer Levine's guest room on his box that he bought his heaters in. And that's what I stayed in. And, and I was in the final group on Sunday, obviously threw it away because I got blackout drunk Saturday night. Anyway. From Mac Harris. This is the next question. I'm, I'm sick of talking about hungover rounds. <laughs> Mac Harris, which do you trust more, JJ? A gas station glory hole or Patrick Reed taking an unsupervised drop? <laughs> Any question that makes us laugh. First of all, no joke, hundreds of questions emailed, Twittered, Instagrammed. Anything that makes us laugh has a high percentage of getting on the pod. That is a hell of a question. I've read it five times already since we've talked about it. And I laugh every time that I read this thing, but you're talking to a, it's a funny question. Yeah. You're talking to a guy who on his bucket list wants to take a shower with NFL defensive backs just to humble himself. So goes without saying, goes without saying, if you're the kind of person that is perhaps into a glory hole, there's probably no wrong side of a glory hole. And 
I would trust that situation a hundred out of a hundred times <laughs> over an unsupervised drop. Hey guys, I found it over here. Here it is out of my pocket, rolling through a hole in my pocket situation or a drop in the middle of the woods from an endangered species ant or something like that from our man who is the main show, uh, P. Reed there. Uh, I'm going to choose Glory Hole, Petey. Okay, so you're going Glory Hole. Um, <laughs> I really don't Either know side of the Glory Hole, one. too. And not one side, either. I'll go with either side I would trust more. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I get it. I totally understand your perspective here, JJ. Um, <laughs> I, I get it. You know, it, it, the Glory Hole is, is an incredible deal. Like at LSU, we had a fourth floor of the library at Middleton there. And they had a bathroom that, like, if you went past the second floor at Middleton, right? There's first, second, third floor. If you went past the second floor, you were considered a ghost. Like, no one went up there. I only knew where the I, – I didn't go to the library until my senior year in college. So, a lot of these people – but they went every day, and they went all the time. So, it was a, a five-story building. And the fourth floor had some glory holes in the bathroom. <laughs> Never went. I mean, I never went there, but I heard about it. So for me to compare one of those glory holes I've never seen to Patrick Reed taking an unsupervised drop, I don't know. I've got to, I've got to go with P. Reed. Obviously, I'm Team Reed. You know that. It's obvious this, this pod, the second episode of For the People, I have been on Team P. Reed this whole time. And until he really burns me, until he really makes me look like an asshole, I've got to stick with uh, with Team Reed here. And, and you know, I, I know that's tough to hear for for all the viewers out there because they want me to be, they want me to take a spot where I cause controversy, and I'm just not going to do it because I love Patrick Reed. I've always loved Patrick Reed, and uh, until he really blatantly cheats, blatantly. I mean, I'm talking like it's got to be obvious. Where I lose faith in him, I'm still going to support him. I'm sorry. Well, many would argue currently, especially, that your position is controversial on this one, Petey, being Team Reed. So yeah. your non-controversial position is perhaps controversial. All right, let's kick it here. This is, this is a good question from Greg Thomas, okay? If pros are not getting paid, what equipment are they using? What clubs are they using? Interesting. Yeah, that's a hell of a question because you know what? Uh, there is not a ranking out there where it's an unbiased ranking of golf clubs or equipment manufacturers. There's not an unbiased ranking because even if Golf Magazine or Golf Digest or any of these magazine companies or social media companies – have a ranking, there's usually a kickback from somebody somewhere that is giving them a check or an incentive to where they are number one or number two or whatever it is. That's the only way that new companies get ranked, like a PXG, like six years ago. There's no way that they become the number one golf club company four years ago 
without getting some massive kickback, right? I mean, obviously they're not the best golf club company. So if PGA Tour players did not get paid off of the golf course, if none of them got paid, I think this is my opinion. This is a podcast for opinions. That's why we're here. It's an opinion podcast. Mizuno would be the best irons, and that is not up for debate. There's JJ, you cannot debate that with me. Mizuno is the best iron. That's not even close. Artisan, Mike Taylor, all the boys at Artisan here in Fort Worth, Texas. They make the best wedges. They've made Tiger Woods' wedges for years. They are old Nike guys. In fact, they're about to start making irons. So when they do, they'll probably make the best irons as well. But Artisan makes the best wedges. Putters, you've got to go with Odyssey. You have to. You've got to go with Odyssey. Odyssey makes the best putters. The insert's the best. It feels the best. They will customize it to however the hell you want it. The golf ball. you got to go with Taylor Mate, The TP5. You have to. Winning majors. I mean, Dustin Johnson, everybody's using the TaylorMade TV5. Uh, what are we at? Woods? We're at Woods. I mean, we, the, I mean, TaylorMade's had the, had the rain, had the ball sack on Woods for years, and they still will. They continue to have the, have the nuts on the Woods. So you got to go – I mean, if, it's, if it's from top to bottom, you go TaylorMade. You go Mizuno. You go Artisan, you go TaylorMade, and then you go Odyssey on the putter. I mean, if it's in order, that's what it is for me. That's in a total opinion. What's your opinion? Well, you like ran the gamut. I mean, the only thing, maybe ball retriever, you want to make a comment on ball retriever because you like went through the woodworks there. You got it all for the people. I don't even, I mean, there's not a lot for me to say. Here's, here's my opinion on the deal, and I'll take it from another angle here. If we're talking skilled golfers, PGA Tour skilled base golfers, there are several players that perhaps have a equipment deal with maybe only one club. Maybe it's just irons. Maybe it's just putter. Who knows what the hell their deal is? Look and see what they're playing. I think that's public research. You can look at the Daryl survey and see what they're playing. I think, yeah. I think some, I think if any company made a shit driver, they would be out of business. Driver is too important. Right to test to the absolute limits to go as far as possible. Right. 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 Maybe they hit one or the other. You said Taylor. I mean, I can't argue with your driver wise iron wise. You said Mizuno for sure. That's a skilled players club. A lot of the folks listening are less than nails. I would rate them iron wise. Perhaps Mizuno does not make the shovel that they are looking for or need for them <laughs> to succeed in their golfing life. Um, and, and that, that's why it's different, but sometimes on the PGA tour and a lot of the Nike guys, after Nike stopped making equipment, a lot of these guys were able to play whatever they wanted. And there's several guys like that on tour and look and see where, what's common. They might all be hitting the same three with, they might all be hitting the same driver. Um, you know, title is, has been the most popular golf ball just because, it is the most popular golf ball over time, right? Performance wise, I think everybody is about caught up. Like, you know, when that Pro V1 came out, you were freaking crazy for not playing the original Pro V1 because right. it went 20 yards farther, 15 yards farther. If you didn't play it, you're an idiot, right? It's costing yourself shots. So mm -hmm. 
I think, I think if ideal equipment, ideal bag setup is, is player dependent. I mean, a couple of our buddies, Pete, even guys that played on tour, they'd hit these ugly ass offset irons because they just liked looking at them. Right. I mean, especially the guys without a lot of ball speed, they'd hit shovels um, almost for all their freaking irons. You're like, what the hell are you hitting that for? So I think it just has to do with personal preference, skill level, all these things, but you nailed a bunch of good companies right there. Okay. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously personal preference at the end of the day. And you, you've got to kind of pick and choose your companies with what you want and what you're good at. Um, and I, I think that a lot of people don't know who artisan is or, you know, yeah, the, these people that make wedges out here in Fort Worth, Texas, like they don't, they don't even understand who I'm talking about, but Mike Taylor and the guys at artisan here at, in Fort Worth, Texas have been building Tiger Woods's clubs and Patrick Reed's wedges and Abraham answers wedges and guys that have filthy short games for years, they've been building their wedges and they don't get any credit like that. That's, that's where I kind of draw the line. I, I love to give credit where credit is due and these guys here in Fort Worth, Texas, like Mike Taylor has known Tiger since Tiger was 23 years old. And you, you might've seen him on the golf channel last year uh, doing an interview where he said he was building Tiger's clubs. He has, he's built them for 20 years, but Mike also builds Abraham Mansers clubs. He builds Patrick Reed's clubs. He builds all sorts of guys clubs. He builds my clubs. He builds uh, Carlos Ortiz's wedges. Like he he builds, and there's there's 15 more guys that DeChambeau. I'm not thinking of. He builds DeChambeau, right? Who's the most strict guy probably ever as far as specs and things like that. He he builds Bryson's clubs. I didn't even think about that, but he he does. He builds Bryson's clubs. He builds he's built clubs for everybody, and major champions all the time. And he doesn't go. He does not get enough credit. So when you ask about clubs and you ask about people that build clubs and are professionals at their craft, that right there, Mike Taylor, Artisan Golf, those guys deserve a lot of the credit because they are not talked about enough. They, they, get, up, they get up, they go to work, and they stick their nose to the grindstone, and they do not get enough credit. So Mike Taylor, Artisan Golf – Y'all are the real MVPs. I mean, I, I can't say enough about them. Sounds like PD is going to have a little artisan sponsorship situation headed his way shortly. But no, they are nails. So, hey, tell me if you've heard this before. So, last pod, we've confirmed that it was true regarding the Tiger Woods one ball situation left. Multiple people confirmed. And they actually couldn't believe that you didn't hear that. I don't think as many people have heard that story then actually deserve to, because that was an amazing story in the U.S. Open when he almost lost that. But have you heard this one about Tiger? And we can talk about Tiger rumors all day long, but supposedly, and I've talked with a couple of those guys there, Tiger uses new wedges every tournament. Every tournament, brand new wedges. Have you heard this? No, I haven't. That's what, that's, that's what I've heard. And I'd like to 
just confirmation from the people like we got last time. And so far my rumor mill has been accurate, but that's, it makes sense though. Honestly, I don't know why. I mean, on tour, we're spoiled. We're spoiled. I mean, you could go into the, when you were with Titleist, when you were with TaylorMade, whatever you could go, if you wanted a new lob wedge and the truck was there, you were getting it. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts really. I mean, it was, they're good guys. I mean, that's their job. Yes. But also you're like, dude, I just, I like the feel of a brand new wedge. I would, I wouldn't do that. And I'm not sure what your routine was, but if I was playing well with wedges, I wouldn't switch unless like I play a practice round and oh my God, these things are rocks, right? I'm talking like the greens are absolute freaking rocks or perhaps it's just weird turf condition that we hadn't seen most of the year and maybe need a little different grind or bounce. But what was your routine with switching clubs when you were playing? Wedges, I guess, mostly, but but everything in general. So I've kind of, I've prided myself on being able to control the golf ball that's the only way that I was able to have success that I had out there. And most of that was because of fresh grooves. Um, I had fresh grooves a lot. I, I switched wedges fairly often. Aaron Dill, who's the Vokey guy out there on tour, he knew that, you know, four or five tournaments go by and I needed new wedges. I, I got new wedges often. I, I did not like to, to have my wedges get worn out. Uh, I didn't like my irons to get worn out. And, you know, like Fred Couples is famous for having somebody hit his irons that he would get built, right? And they would hit him and hit him like a, like a, a scratch golfer or a plus handicap. Fred Couples would have him hit him. And, and wear a wear mark on them before they gave them to Fred for the first time. So I was not like that. I wanted brand new grooves, no matter what. And, you know, if that meant, you know, I'd, I'd be on a Thursday in the morning round on a, at the Honda Classic, and I'd hit a chip with a brand new wedge that I've only hit four or five times, and I hit it a little off center, and the thing like, checked up 10 feet short of the hole that's fine so be it but i was able to adjust so my entire perspective on getting new wedges what all all it had to do was creating spin and creating rpms and and that's what that's what everybody's trying to do they they just want to get up and down more and i was a shitty chipper I, I still am a shitty chipper. I'm learning how to use the bounce better now, but back then I was a shitty chipper. I was very left-hand left hand lean, right, and no release, left-hand forward, hit down on it. So, yeah, my first bounce was good. My first bounce would check, but then it would run out. And, you know, as I know now, that's a terrible way to chip. Use the bounce, right? Let the let the club work underneath the ball. But back then, I needed new grooves all the time because I didn't know how to use the loft of the golf club. Now that I know how to do that, I don't need it as much. But when I was out there full time, yeah, I needed new grooves because I was a shitty chipper and I could not use the loft of the golf club effectively. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest deal, and I'll tell this to amateurs all the time and for the people, I love you guys. I don't want you to be shit at golf. So 
you, if you're a golfer and you consider yourself a golfer, like I'm an, I mean, avid golfer, we're talking once to potentially twice a month, you know, situation, maybe you can hang in there for a couple of years. If, if you're a guy that's like a diehard, if you're the, if you're the guy that's playing, you know, once on a weekday and once on a weekend, you need new wedges probably every single year without a doubt, because it, it affects your score. It really does. And, and it's not really the full shots like PD was talking about, like, you know, anybody on tour could hit a wedge that's 40 years old and spin a ball back with a full sand wedge from the middle of the fairway. It's those shots around the green. You just have control. You have this dirty lie. You have a shot where it's just tough to spin. Anything that gives you that little extra spin on that tough shot is a huge advantage. And if you have to get the ball to run out, that's easier to adjust to than trying to create spin out of thin air. Right. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that that's, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the little shots around the green. We're not talking about full swing, 92 yard lob wedges, right? I mean, we're talking about four yard pitches where you've got to clear a bunker and you've got to create some speed at the bottom. That's the kind of shot we're talking about. Well, and that'll be it for For the People. This is the second episode. Thank you for spending the last hour with us. We cannot thank you enough. We are top five podcast in golf for the entire world. And it is not because of us. It is because of you. Thank you so much for spending the last hour with us. This is JJ Colleen and John Peterson. We are signing off for the second episode of For the People. This episode of For the People is brought to you by Texas Title, your DFW-based title insurance company. Close your next home, purchase a refinance with Texas Title, www.texastitle.com, hashtag a place to call home.